Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, Saints of Imperfection. So we have a lot to talk about because a lot happened in that episode and I I am very enthusiastic about all of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Me too. And then that's the theme. Uh, I, a lot has happened in every episode. <laughs> They're just putting lots and lots in. Uh, maybe because there are only 13 episodes instead of in like a Next Generation or Voyager, there'd be like 22 so I feel like maybe they're they're stuffing them all in so they can get, still get as much Star Trek, even in the uh, the shorter <laughs> season. Which I appreciate. I, I kind of just want everyone to sit down and have a nice rest. Yeah, like, we need we need a vacation episode. Sure, leave. <laughs> also, I had this idea, and I, I realize now how, how naive I was that these weekly uh, episode episodes would be much shorter on our part because we wouldn't necessarily have much to say. And oh god, I was so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, like this one, I was like, oh, you know, there are only like really two plots. In, in this in this episode, but it's like, there's still so much that happened. And we're recording a day early, so I haven't had my usual day to ruminate and think about what I want to talk about, but I have a feeling we'll be filling our hour. Yes. But as, as long as we're sort of going behind the scenes on the podcast, can I quickly talk about statistics? Go for it. So we have had 477 downloads, and our... Most downloaded episode was uh, episode six, Klingon Botox, about episode three of the season with 68 downloads. And behind that is uh, last episode, she's like a little yo-yo at 48. (laughs) And extremely understandably, uh, our very first episode, Manic Pixie Dream Vena, only has 11 (laughs) downloads. Well, you know, (laughs) no one knew about us then. (laughs) And, And, you know... Audio quality is still a learning curve, but I understand that these are very low numbers in terms of podcasting and we're nowhere near getting mattress sponsorship yet. Call me because I really have a sore back. Uh, But because my local con is so small, sometimes we get, I think we had six people in the audience for our discovery panel last year. So these to me personally seem like massive numbers. (laughs) I was a, I did a discovery panel last year um, at WizCon, and it was I think there were six people on the panel, um, and I was excited. <laughs> I was excited to fill the room. It you know it was a smaller room, like you know the size of my bedroom kind of conference room. But I was like, oh look at all the discovery fans. <laughs> There's like you know twenty five of us maybe. So yeah. To put it in perspective, the largest attendance we've ever had at Continuum is, I think, about 300 people, which would be a miserable failure for an American con, but <laughs> well, is actually not bad for an Australian one. So. <laughs> there are tiny cons and there are big cons, and I personally love them all, and I, I go to many. Other statistics, are 105 downloads from the United States, that's the majority, 39 and 36 from Australia and the United Kingdom. Shout out to our six downloads from Japan, which I know from my best friend Amanda, who 
doesn't watch Star Trek, has never watched Discovery, but seems to really like our podcast. Oh, that's so sweet. I love it. Yay. And I like being all international like that. That's great. I know. And one final thing, we got a really nice shout out on Twitter from uh, at Zandara, who wrote, glad to have stumbled on this hashtag Star Trek Discovery podcast recently. I like their format of chatting about the episode. The hosts are joyful and fun to listen to and bring up interesting things I hadn't thought of. That's great. I love joyful. I know. I know. Because Very joyful. It fills me with joy to hear that. Even when I'm being critical, and I often am, it's coming from a place of very deep affection. And so I'm glad that oh, seems absolutely. to be coming through. Okay, let's start. Right. I can close those tabs. Let's talk about <laughs> an episode of Star Trek. So do we want to start with the Section 31 stuff, or do we want to start with the mycelian... I'm never going to say that correctly. The mycelial <laughs> network stuff. At some point, I'm going to create a supercut of all your attempts to say mycelial, and it's going to be great for me. I can't say it. Uh, it's hard to decide okay. where we should start, because this time, the two plots were really nicely linked together. Uh, that's true. Let's start with the mycelial shenanigans, because that's where the episode begins, with Michael running through a corridor okay. and delivering a monologue. <laughs> She's very... I, I love how upset she is that... Tilly is missing it's like and the shot where she's like looking at her bed and and it's like half of Michael is missing you know it was very sad it's it's terrible like I can't imagine losing my best friend it's bad enough she she lives in Japan (laughs) I really like that Stamets is like well nope that's that's not gonna end that way (laughs) where I'm gonna I'm gonna find her and Michael doesn't like she she's afraid to to think it might be okay and maybe we'll get Tilly back. It seems like it's it's easier for her to start working on I have to get over this than it is to believe. But you know, she wants to put faith in Stamets, but at the same time she's like, I'm gonna let him have all of the hope and uh, I I'm gonna start shutting myself off because that's what I do best. I was raised by Vulcans. That is Michael all over. I get that. That's a that's a very relatable decision on her part, I think. I I agree. I really instead of dealing with feelings to just be like, okay, feelings, go away. Yeah, goodbye. I will deal with this in therapy when I have a breakdown in ten years. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, I think it's very telling that Paul just will not accept another death at this point. And who can blame him? He's lost, he's lost Hugh. He's lost so much. And I kind of, as we have discussed, I wasn't, I've never been really thrilled with the particular Hugh death character arc. But I found it particularly weird this week that we don't really spent very much time with Paul in this of all episodes. Like it's really a Tilly episode and in terms of this subplot and I found that very strange and I think that we could have stood to um, get a bit more time seeing what's going through Paul's head. Yeah I think the Paul and Hugh stuff, Hugh himself, like Culber, I really like Culber but 
I will mention again that I like characters that have no characterization, <laughs> and, and I sort of force it all onto them myself. So he's really more like in the first uh, season, he's entirely in service of the plot. Like yeah. he only exists to, I don't know, give the whole Ash like that gives stakes to the, I don't even know why. I like I don't I don't really understand what the purpose of Paul's death was. Well, apparently the writers just really wanted to tell a story about death and loss and coming back from that and they even like ran it past Glad before before they filmed and so forth. And maybe like I'm sure this is that there's going to be more to it. There's this certainly isn't over yet, but I just would not have told this story. Like, I feel like some ideas are best left to fan fiction. Does that make sense? And and maybe if they wanted some hurt, comfort, yeah. and death fic, they should have gotten an AO3 account. <laughs> I just think, think because we didn't really, we didn't get to know Paul, um, we didn't get to know Hugh at all before he died. You know, we only saw him in relation to... Paul. other people yeah like he was a yeah he was an idea of a character more than a character himself I was going to talk about that because I, when he died I realized that I had no emotional attachment to his character at all he's you know a beautiful man a lovely actor an absolute cinnamon roll of a character but not especially interesting yeah because he doesn't he doesn't have anything that's his own no everything is in relation to his relationship and that's you know that's okay for for the first season, but like, why did we have to do this whole big death arc thing before we got to know him so that we we could miss him? <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I just I feel you know. Certainly, there are people I know who were very invested in the character and in the relationship, but I for my for just speaking for myself, I was. I was invested in the idea of a canonical main cast queer couple, but I did not find, I still don't find Paul and Hugh interesting in their own right. Right. And I think that, I mean, thank goodness Star Trek finally has a canonical queer couple, a long-standing one that, one that is in uh, multiple episodes that is in the main cast that had, that, and that they're um, investing in and telling stories about. I just, I, I, yeah, I just feel like I needed to know really both characters more before this story happened in order for me, their stakes to be high enough for me to, to get it. I agree exactly. So I just, yeah, I wish that they'd, they'd held off on it. <laughs> but, and... I what I'm looking forward to now is getting to know who Hugh is. I hope that maybe we can pull back and and we can see their relationship as you know just as a normal relationship and not have all this drama rama happening. I don't think we're going to be there <laughs> quite yet. Like <laughs> Hugh Hugh has obviously been through some pretty terrible stuff and, uh, you know, he needs some time to get over that. And I am quite sure, because they were saying on social media, you know, these guys aren't married. I am quite sure that at some point Discovery is going to end or begin a season with a wedding. But 
we, we haven't <laughs> we have to get there yeah I mean I do I and I certainly want to see the trauma addressed I don't want him to I don't want him to have been lost in a mushroom land for a year or whatever however long I I still do not know anything about time in this entire series I do not know what time it is ever but um uh I, after having been lost there and been having to, I guess, uh, protect himself, defend himself against the air and everything that lived there for yeah. however long it was, I, you know, constantly, like, he was just constantly under attack. That sounds horrible. And so I, I do think that he really needs to deal with that. And it'll be weird that... He, He's going to be on the ship with Ash and that whole mess. Like, there's just a lot. And he was lost during the whole... He was lost during the war, so like, like Jet Reno, maybe they can hang out and be like, hey, we missed the war. Is he going to be like, so uh, what happened to Lorca? I, have a, I still have a beef with that guy. And I'd be like, oh, don't worry, he got stabbed through the heart and thrown into the mycelial network but don't worry no one is going to use the power of love to bring that guy back <laughs> except maybe for a minority of fans and i promise even though i love Lorca, i'm not one of them so can we talk about the whole the mushroom land and how there's like tree bark and glowing fireflies and that Paul, I really, I the the part I really liked about this whole thing was um, when Tilly said to May, from his perspective, you're a mon- you're the monster. Yes, that was a great like. That's the reason I watch Star Trek. You know, when people say this is a Star Trekky story, and I'm like, yeah, I I am always here for the taming the dragons story, instead of fighting them. The, the story where both sides are just monsters to each other who they can't even find common ground in this case. They are biologically incompatible, but we can still tame the monster and let everyone go back to their lives. Yeah. Find a way to heal both sides. Yes. Even though instead, you know, we've been hurting each other without trying and, and we can't, and as you say, we can't, we can't find a way to stop, but we can find a way to work around it. And I, and I hope that the Tilly and May promise that, um, that, that the universe will find a way to bring them back together is not just a line and is, means that there's, there's more to their story and we're going to get back there. I just want Tilly to be reunited with her fungus girlfriend. I know. They're so cute and so sweet. It was just, you know, how angry and upset Tilly was at the beginning, completely reasonably. And almost immediately when May was like, you know, I, you're my only hope. And that's, that's why I brought you here. Help me, Sylvia Tilly. And Tilly got like so angry that she had to, that she was like, darn it, that's a good point And I have to be Starfleet nice now <laughs> it was just you know her her better nature was you know it was like yeah that's that's a that's we gotta help her you know I have to help her even though I'm wet and 
lost and I hate this and I don't want to be here and I've been possessed, you know, <laughs> all of that, I have to let that go and, and help her out because she's in need. And that's my, that's my, you know, I want to. You know, it was just, I really liked how their relationship progressed. Yeah, I feel like it was uh, better served by the acting than the writing, maybe? Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, I think that it could certainly, if you, if you took away these two actresses and the way that they did it all, then yeah, it, like on paper, it's a little like... Mm. Mm. What's going on? I mean, I think I can say that about the whole episode. Agreed. And and it's classic Star Trek to have a script that really only works because the actors are selling it. Yeah. Because the actors embodies these characters so well and we care about them. The other thing I was going to say... Oh, yeah. Mary Wiseman is approaching Kate Mulgrew levels of being able to pull faces. Like, <laughs> I, I noticed... I noticed this first in the runaway short where she's just stink, stink eyeing, death glaring the replicator for judging her coffee choices, which is pure Janeway. But yeah, she is getting up there with reaction faces. Yeah, she's doing really well. I, I mean, she was amazing this week. I, I just, Tilly is such a gift, and I just love how she portrays her and how she goes from such highs and lows um so quickly and just and yeah her reaction faces are amazing her all of her physical acting she just really Mm. does she has this glow about her (laughs) yes and as a character tilly's ability to form connections even with people she doesn't particularly know or like is really powerful and i think it's one of the traits that are that proves that she'll be a great captain one day yes she, unlike Sarek, is really good at people. <laughs> she peoples really well. <laughs> Are you saying she should be giving lessons? I mean, that's kind of what she did to Michael, so... That is so true. So I, I think she, that she's... She, and and she really to Stamets, too. Like, she's... He cares so much about Tilly because Tilly cares so much about him, you know? And yeah. Yeah, and he certainly wasn't in that place in the se- the first season when you consider yeah. where he started out. So, so I think, yeah, I mean, she's just, it's an amazing character and uh, Mary does amazing things with her. And I was also really impressed by Wilson Cruz. He didn't have a lot to do, but and I'm sure that will change in the coming weeks, but his physical acting was just so great and he was yeah. unrecognisable under that hair and covered <laughs> in spores. Yeah. Very creepy. I liked how he came when, you know, he was, he was back to, it, it was just what, you know, when he comes out of the cocoon and he's like hairless, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. I was, I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. But it's also an interesting choice. <laughs> I guess, uh, May reached into Tilly's mind and <laughs> yeah. extrapolated and maybe Tilly has thought a lot about what he looks like without clothes on. I, I mean, know. I thought it was like, it was like a birth scene. Like he was, he, I am they, certain that was the intent <laughs> that they, they took away, you know, any excess i guess mm. that that would have been but i suppose that it could also be like however he went like it, it, because if human dna was what they needed and that was in the i don't know the science 
didn't, I didn't really, I was like, I have no idea what was going on there. I suspect this is scientifically <laughs> dubious. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> like, what's missing is d- human DNA, but there's, like, not specifically his DNA. It's, like, human DNA that exists in the cocoon that because a human was in it. Like, what? <laughs> Does this mean that Hugh and Tilly are siblings now? I don't know. What is Hugh? Is he a person or is he part mushroom? Like, what happened there? Well, I feel like if he's part mushroom, that's maybe one of Paul's dreams come to life. I know. Paul would not be, he would not turn that away. No, no. A hot mushroom man is exactly what he's been looking for all these years. Uh, I do think it's interesting how his resurrection, Hugh's resurrection, I mean, is similar to Spock's in The Search for Spock, which I guess we'll also have to talk about. But uh, in terms of some kind of nebulous, science-y, uh, <laughs> life force thing. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but it's consistent with what has come before slash will come in the future. When you think about it, it wasn't the it was Genesis like took his body and his so it was kind of like fungi already, really, right? Because wasn't he his body was decomposing or something? Honestly, my new my my new head canon is that Carol Marcus has at some point uh, worked with Paul Stamets or astromycology in general and went, okay, fungus travel is great, but have you considered terraforming? <laughs> Okay, headcanon accepted, and I want that, I want to see that. Do we move on to the search for Spock? (laughs) The endless, never-ending search for Spock. I don't think it's going to end next week because we're, like, taking a side trip to Kelpia, or whatever it's called. (laughs) I guess if Section 31 are taking over the work, then they can sort of backburner that for a while and it's justified, but I'm quite sure we'll have more conversations about it. And maybe Michael will decide, will tell someone again that she feels responsible for the estrangement. Uh, she did not, in fact, tell, uh, what are we calling Philippa? I guess Philippa. I mean, she didn't tell her, I feel responsible. She just went straight to, if you threaten my brother, I will end you. Which was a, you know, that was a change. I was excited. And I think that was a responsible choice on Michael's part because Philippa is really not someone you want to reveal uh, vulnerabilities to. Yeah, no, yes, she was She was on her game uh, in regards to Philippa. She was off her game in regards to Ash, but that's, you know, I can sort of see mm. why. So I think I think Ash will be the next person to learn about the estrangement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can look forward to that conversation. <laughs> Poor Ash. I actually feel really badly for him being stuck on that ship right now. Like, no one's really in his corner at the moment. I am kind of into that. And I feel worse. I feel slightly bad for Ash, but I feel worse for Hugh and Paul, who have to look at him. I definitely felt badly for Paul on the bridge when he just sort of stopped in mid-speech and was like, okay, that's happening, and had to continue on. Yeah, yeah, that was not cool for, like, I, I guess he couldn't really be anywhere else, Ash, but it was difficult. Yeah. I am really into Pike not really having time for the Ash-Tyler drama. <laughs> Pike was just like, I, no, yeah, he was completely against him, right? Right from, from 
the, the moment that he was in his view and uh and yeah he just it was it was it was entertaining and it was also you know pike has been so open and friendly and and uh and kind to everyone but he was just like nope so i do think that there is a uh, that what i was saying last week about how he is set up as the foil for section 31 is appropriate you are so right um because that was pretty clear at least seeing hard ass pike every once in a while that was exciting I loved Pike this week, and I think it's because, one, he took against Ash in a way that felt really realistic. He, you know, from his perspective, and he knows everything, Ash is a weird semi-traitor who deserted and killed an officer and is now just walking around like no big deal and assumes that he has all these privileges of on discovery, like free movement, and actually, you know, he, he's he doesn't, and he's... Re- representing an organization that Pike disagrees with. But also I realized like uh, episode five of season one was where Lorca sort of clicked for me and here it was Pike. And I think it's because we get to see them interacting with old friends and, you know, peers or people who are close to peers. Kat and Lorca in the case of season five, uh, episode five last year and uh, Leland and Pike this year. It's really cool to get that extra dimension of a character and it's like, one of my favourite scenes in the Harry Potter books is in um, the second book where Harry and Ron are hiding in the staff room and they see, I think it's almost the only time we see the, the teachers interact among themselves. That uh, experience of sort of getting a glimpse into the lives of the so-called grown-up characters, the older generation, mm. really reveals a lot about them to me. That is really interesting. The scene that I'm thinking of is in the third book when they learn about Sirius Black by spying on people. Oh, yes. Which was also, it was like, oh, look at these teachers, like, hanging out with each other off campus. <laughs> That's, that, well, of course they do, but I, you, you don't think about it until you see it, you know? And that was, that is a similar idea for, I really, I love, I absolutely, like, my, one of my favorite uh, relationships to look at are the, you know, people who, knew you when you were young and and not quite formed yes so I love meeting older friends of of any character because I they they know things about you that people who met you as an adult just uh, aren't capable of knowing because you've you've decided who you are at that point and how you're presenting yourself but the people who know you when you're young and still figuring all that out they they know these little like secrets about you yeah, my thing is taking the characters who are fully formed adults now and then projecting back to see what they were like as younger people. And this is something I've done over several fandoms. And as spoilers, I was a Marauders era fan in Harry Potter fandom. <laughs> and so it's cool to get this glimpse of uh, Pike at the Academy with Giorgio and his uh, frenemy relationship <laughs> with Leland. And then Kat comes in at the end to tell them to cut it out and behave like adults, which <laughs> it's not that they weren't doing that, but there was a level of maybe endangerment that you don't like to see in a relationship between starship captains. Yeah, it's sort of like, okay, puffing yourself up and uh, and doing this verbal battle is one thing, but when you start doing it with your spaceships 
then it becomes a, a bigger problem. Yes. <laughs> we need to focus here, guys. Get over yourselves and, and your egos. And, uh, and, you know, we have a, we have a purpose. We're supposed to be yes. doing something. And it also makes Leland more interesting because we've only seen him interacting with Georgiou and honestly he doesn't really grab me as a character but it's cool to be able to put him in context that at one point he was part of Starfleet Pop proper and he, yeah. Yeah, they did, they did work on Leland a little this episode both in that he has a background with Pike and that... He did something that, that uh, <laughs> uh, Philippa was able to blackmail him about, which I, presumably is why he's in Section 31. But yeah, and he, I mean, he was a complete non-entity before now, so it's, I'm excited that we're, we're getting to know anything about him, because he was just sort of a skulking shadow person. Yes. And I like characterization. I think that's the theme of... What I have to say is, yay, <laughs> adding little details to people is great. But I don't know exactly where where they're all go- Like, this whole Section 31 stuff is interesting. It's interesting to me. I love spy stuff. I'm a huge, huge fan of spies. In, the, in this, I've been saying since a, a lot of people, you know, they say... We want to believe in this in the uh, the Starfleet that doesn't require a Section Thirty One that you know that we don't want them to exist because that's not yeah. part of the happy, shining future that we believe Star Trek is supposed to present. And I have said, well, you know, the the reason I love these spy stories is because I love um, stories where they this the spy guy says, you know. We exist so that you, so that you you know we do the things that you can't do, and they like literally said that in this episode. Yeah, we do what we do so you can do what you do. <clears throat> right, and and that you know that's that's always where the the spy story starts, and then it progresses to prove that they're wrong <laughs> and that yes. you, they don't need to do that stuff, and then and that's the point of all of these stories, and so I'm excited that they said that because it's like they're starting from the right place in my in my in my view of how this should go that you know this it was like a a a beacon to me or something saying yes stay stay on course and and uh and keep you know you're right this is this is the hopeful path that you want it to be so don't don't let people get you down. <laughs> it's gonna be. Okay. I agree. I don't. I don't think that we're meant to see Section Thirty One as the good guys, and I don't think that will be the case for their series either. Though I'm sure there'll be some, you know, anti-hero shenanigans. <laughs> anti-hero shenanigans. Well, maybe it could be Tyler. If we if we if, if those are the three characters that are going to be the the mains on the Section Thirty One series, Tyler seems to be the most likely to be the protagonist who mm. convinces them that they don't have to be this way of those three they could introduce a new character that is that i'm sure they i'm sure they will to be honest because otherwise if it's just those three they're a bit short of women other than michelle yo but i also don't really give good odds for leland surviving the series the <laughs> season Aw, poor leland would would philip be in charge of section 31 because that seems like a bad idea 
That seems to me like a colossally bad idea. (laughs) Just saying. It's it's, uh, certainly very Terran. You know, they're big believers in the Klingon promotion. And I saw an interview where Alex Kurtzman said something along the lines of, yes, they are aware that Section 31 does not officially exist by the Deep Space Nine era, and that's part of our story. So... I don't know, maybe Leland dies, Kat officially disbands them, and then Philip is like, anyway. <laughs> I'm going to steal this chef and keep going? I mean. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that I was thinking this morning, we've never seen an alien member of Section 31, and so maybe they are a stealth human Whoa. supremacist organisation. Whoa. That's. I'm just saying. Wow. Okay. This is like stuff that I am mostly just making up or extrapolating. <laughs> just Star Trek shower thoughts. Okay. I always bring it back to um, La Femme Nikita because I loved the USA series La Femme Nikita, which was based on the French film. And there's, you know, there have been other versions now, but the, the one that I got, it was the same time as like Voyager and Deep Space Nine. The lead was a blonde Australian woman named yes. Peter something. Yes. Peter I've Wilson. never seen it, but I've heard of it because I love you know, that you're series. Australian, you're in the media, you get attention. <laughs> I should borrow the DVDs one day. And so I always, that's what I imagine a section 31 being because it was section one and it was uh, covert ops and like they worked for the UN. So it's like, obviously they're the same. Obviously. So I, you know, I, so I always stick in, uh, I, I've made up versions of this in every fandom that, that I <laughs> because I love the idea so much. The, and so, and section 31 is a Star Trek one. It's like a, an official canon version of my La Femme Nikita obsession. And so, because we have, we've met those three characters. So there's Leland is operations and... <laughs> Philippa is Madeline, and... Ash is the the brainwashed heroine? No, I think... uh, Well, right now, Ash would be the brainwashed heroine, but I think that they're going to... I'm going to think they're going to cast a brainwashed heroine, and Mm. and, uh, Ash will be Michael, who is, like, the the best of them, the best spy. But, yeah, and and then they just need a techie, and and they're good to go. So, like, I can see the the bones of of the show, and it, like... Eventually, Operations does die, and, and uh, Madeline does take over, but it's, like, really terrifying to me to think of Philippa in charge of anything. Yeah, we've seen how she runs an empire. They, sh- they, shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't give her that long leash. Yeah. Uh, speaking of women and questionable decisions and power, Kat Cornwell's back. Yay! I was excited for her return for the entire week. Jane Brooke said that she was returning, and so I was like, ah, that's what I'm excited for. But then it was funny because I actually was so caught up in this story that when she appeared, I had had forgotten that she was coming. And so I was like, oh, that's right! No, same, same. I was coming to the end thinking... Wait, there was some other reason I was excited for this episode. Oh, Kat, I know her. I like her. This is great. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate that. I was like, good good episode, guys. You you tricked me into not being, <laughs> not remembering, not being like so anticipating her return that I, I actually mm. was paying attention to the other stuff. So it was good. Yeah, one of the problems with fixating on one supporting recurring character is that uh, if you let that take over 
as I have experienced too many times, you run the risk of uh, really missing out on the story that's actually happening in front of you. And there was no chance of that this week because the story in front of me was so good. Yeah, they were, they really pulled me in and mm. I was, I was on there. I'm really, really happy that uh, Hugh is back and I look forward to their continued story. But it was probably the least engrossing for me. I like I knew that it wasn't going to be so easy that he could just walk in and it was like something bad is going to happen now and I'm just like so happy that they solved it this episode and it didn't like I was scared for a minute there that it was going to be you know we're going into the network mm. like once or twice to try to figure this out and and, and I could not have put up with that so I'm glad that it was just a a one moment fake out instead of uh to be continued fake out yeah i think stringing us along like that would have been bad but someone one of the official twitter accounts was like oh this is going to be a great episode for valentine's day and i was like okay yeah he's definitely back this week it won't be a fake out because you just don't do that 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 is bad marketing that would be cruel yeah whereas Kat turning up this early in the season, like we knew she'd be back. And I think we in the Admiral's Legion discord have had a lot of chatter about when that was likely to happen. And we worked very hard to persuade ourselves that it wouldn't be till later in the season. <laughs> so episode five is a nice surprise. It is. And I'm, she was really there, not just a hologram. I know, and I wasn't expecting that. I was like, wait you're on this ship you're just (laughs) flying around with section 31 now okay have you been there all along that's that like i'm very intrigued what exactly is going on it like maybe she's the leash for for philippa i don't know well that is certainly an image that i am going to treasure (laughs) but i yeah i like i get the impression that she is running the Starfleet end of the operation to find out what the red the, bursts the are. The red you know, things Sarah are, yes. Like, the, the, the Federation has asked me to assemble a task force, and I assume Kat is running that as well because they work well together, and now she's the liaison to Section 31. She's giving Leland his orders because apparently he's a proper captain at this point, and Section 31 is a real organisation that officially exists and has badges. <laughs> You sound so, you're like, what? I am still having trouble reconciling it with what we know of Deep Space Nine. But at the same time, having seen Alex Kurtzman say, oh yeah, we are going to line up with that. I feel a lot better. Like I I don't have to do the work because they're going to do it for me. (laughs) That makes sense. What about Section 31 having better tech than the regular Starfleet? I... That was very James Bond of them. I'm very into it, though, because it's like the whole, you know, the government is secretly withholding advanced technology. And I literally, like, wrote a scene about that into my middle grade space opera, like, the day before yesterday. So I was like, yeah, I love this trope. I have no strong feelings about this trope at all. Uh <laughs> And I've only just finished season one of Enterprise, but I'm like, maybe the temporal Cold War has enabled Section 31 to like steal stuff from the future, or maybe they are just not letting this level of technology or letting their own innovations filter out into the real world yet. Who knows? I'm just into it. Yeah. 
it's another layer of of shifty federation politics that I am absolutely here for. Oh yeah, and like when Kat was saying nation building isn't pretty, I was like, this is just like we were talking about a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> it was like, yay! As I have said, I don't want Kat to go down a terribly dark path into, say, Terran Emperor territory, but I am okay with her being extremely and unapologetically pragmatic because she's she's like Admiral Nechayev in Next Generation who was always the face of the Federation and Starfleet's worst policies but she was really punished for it in how the Enterprise crew treated her and she's always portrayed as being unreasonable and a bit of a bitch and a bit of an ice queen and like a lot of 90s sexism was bound up in that whereas Mm. Kat feels like she's in a similar position but she's a much more fully formed person yeah I think part of it is I mean everyone was sort of upset that this was a prequel everybody really wants you know the after Mm. stuff But I think that maybe it's because they wanted to tell these stories. They wanted to tell the darker, more, I don't know, not exactly, darker isn't quite the right word, but they're the more political, I guess. A level of real politic. Yeah, and those stories can't really be told after. It's kind of like, you know, uh, the the sequels to the Star Wars, so Star Wars sequel trilogy, everything is really sad again, you know? It's... <laughs> There's this terrible sense of everything repeating itself. If, right, so if they told this story after Voyager, it, it would have been like everything that was good and happy in the original series of Next Generation and Voyager and that era... Mm. we would have to bring it back down to the sad part to tell these stories. Does does that make sense? It does. And that would, like, people would be disappointed in that as well because they want to see it moving forward. So I think that that if these are the stories that they want to tell, this was the right place to put them. I agree, but I am also not counting on the Picard series, which is set post-Nemesis, to be... Uh, 90s Trek style optimism because Patrick Stewart is saying you know it's set after the the destruction of Romulus he's making allusions to Brexit and I am quite sure that however that series ends it will be that with the Federation united and stronger but I feel like a Brexit story Vexit and or Exit is very much of our time and something that you cannot tell as a prequel but I also think a lot of people are going to be disappointed. Yeah, if, right. If they think that that series is going to be, I think they are going to be disappointed, and uh, I'm not. But uh, I'm I mean, not. I personally, I love that the Star Wars sequel trilogy is is dark again because I think that that's more realistic. That you can't. That it's always a cycle, and that it's it's getting better by increments as opposed to getting better all of a sudden. And as we see right now, it is honestly quite realistic for a generation who did not experience a particular war to go back and model themselves in the style of the aggressors, depressingly. (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) real world politics are a whole other story. (laughs) 
Yes. I like that we're also a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> just... No, no, I love Star Wars. It's not a fandom I'm in, but I love it. I, I mean, I just think these are great stories that I'm interested in. And I like, I like Cornwell as the Necheyev of this era. And I love that she gets more respect. I mean, I, I love Cornwell. This is, this, is not a, this is not a surprise to anyone. That's how we became friends. That's right. <laughs> but I just, you know, I love that she is unapologetically in charge and she's not putting up with any of it. Yes. I want to see all sides of her, but I really appreciate that she is the, the face of all sides of Starfleet, I guess. Yes, and I appreciate there was a Tumblr post going around during the week that was like, I really hope we get to see Cornwell uh, counselling Pike because of her background in psychiatry. She's also a therapist and all that. And I liked that post at the time, but the more I saw it, I was something niggled at me. And then I watched this episode and I was like, but I don't need her to take care of Pike. You know, he is a grown man and he can seek his own therapy. She's his boss. Exactly. Right. And the relationship that she had with Lorca should not be the same as the one she had with Pike. Yeah, she she should have different. I mean, that's 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 the same reason I want want like the Pike and Michael relationship to be different. Mm. That that as much as I want to ship him with everybody, and but I can't find anybody, and it's like Michael seems like a really good option, but I don't want there to be any of that weird stuff going on between them so at this point i've decided that pike and leland had an acrimonious breakup and now they're working together and they're definitely going to have hookups on the down low (laughs) okay okay we could i can work with that i can definitely Mm. definitely see it yeah Uh, yeah i'm i'm thrilled that cornwall is back and glad that she's still in charge and uh and still not taking anybody's nonsense uh, nonsense that's the word (laughs) what was it manlier than thou bullshit (laughs) In fact, I'm just going to scroll up a bit and read a quote that I really liked from the Vulture recap. Uh, The boys apologize to each other in such an absolutely correct way, minus Leland's, that's an understatement, cheap shot at the end, that my hashtag me too shriveled heart grew a half size to witness it. (laughs) Nice. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Very good. Okay, I think we can probably wrap up. We might even be like five minutes shorter than usual this week. I want to say one thing. Yes. Is there going to be time travel? Because we have have tachyon uh, emissions. I love time travel. In fact, I'm starting to think this is more just Star Trek shower thoughts with Liz. What if the Red Angel is Spock or Michael or, in a twist, both of them? Yeah. I I, I think that it is going to end up being a person. Yes. And a person that we know, yes, and Spock and or Michael are the are the most make the most sense. I like the both of them <laughs> going to you know together, going through. Well, it's, it's the <laughs> there were two killers all along twist, you know, right? And I feel like if it was just one of them, it would probably be Michael because she's the protagonist. But yeah, yeah. But what is... about that one time that Michael sees the angel? Exactly, exactly. That's why I think it's both. 
So that's that's my prediction. I'm calling it. Okay, <laughs> very good. <laughs> I like both. Pinky swear. <laughs> Pinky swear. Oh, I just want Tilly to get her fungus girlfriend. Is that so wrong? No, Everyone she's... can have a fungus partner. <laughs> <laughs> fungus partner for you, a fungus partner for you. Everybody! You know, some lucky sod will get a fungal infection instead, but you know, these things happen. <laughs> I just gotta use protection. <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry, I can't laugh because I'm gonna cough, but alright, I'm good. I'm sorry. That's I'm okay. Sorry. <clears throat> I'm doing the outro I'm like, before this gets any worse. I'm just imagining like a dating <laughs> a dating network where, you know, Paul goes into the into the mushroom land and picks out somebody for everybody. It's like, like a mycelial dating. Network? Yes, a mycelial dating network. Exactly. You said it. You said it. <laughs> That's because you said it first. I just had to listen. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Five-star reviews help make us visible to the algorithm that rules our lives. You cannot support us on Patreon or like us on Facebook. However, we are now on Twitter at at antimatterpod, all one word. You can also find us at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. Please send vaguely positive thoughts in our direction and join us next week for more discovery where we probably won't find Spock. 